Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to The Word on Medicine, the conversation dedicated to examining medical innovation and discovery in Southeast Wisconsin. The Word on Medicine is presented by Selig Leasing and features the faculty and research teams of the Medical College of Wisconsin, sharing cutting-edge new knowledge and discoveries. The experts you will hear from today deliver advanced care at Eastern Wisconsin's only academic medical center. And now, The Word on Medicine. When I think Good afternoon, this is Dr. Doug Evans, and on behalf of the faculty and staff of the Medical College of Wisconsin, welcome to the Word on Medicine. We have a very important show for you today, which allows all of you to see deep into the heart of medicine. Today it is all about leukemia, a cancer of the blood system, and one in which there has been amazing medical progress over the past decade. You do not want to miss today's program. Well, the Word on Medicine comes to you every Saturday, as you know, at 4 p.m., and we are so fortunate to have an amazing group of experts from the Medical College of Wisconsin across all clinical and basic science departments who contribute to the Word on Medicine, so please stay tuned to WISN 1130 a.m. Before we start today's show, I want to acknowledge Selig Leasing Company and Mark and Debbie Antanasio, who make the Word on Medicine possible with their generous support. This program would not be possible without them. They are vocal advocates for advances in medicine based on the innovation and discovery which inspires the new therapies that all of you have come to expect from the Medical College of Wisconsin. For those of you who may not know, MCW opened its doors in 1885 and now is one of the largest multi-specialty practices in the country with over 1,700 physicians and 800 nurse practitioners and PAs. We have recently also launched the Bud and Sue Selig Hub for Health Services Research in the Department of Surgery. The Selig Hub will become one of the leading think tanks and policymakers in health outcomes and disparities in this country, thereby improving access, treatments, and outcomes for the underserved in Wisconsin. More to follow in this exciting effort made possible by the Seligs. Well, today's program is the 145th unique program produced by the Word on Medicine since we began in October of 2017. So let's get started with our discussion on leukemia. In the first segment of the Word on Medicine, we welcome Drs. Ihab Atala and Karen Carlson. Dr. Atala is Professor of Medicine, Section Head of Hematological Malignancies in the Division of Oncology, and Associate Director of the Cancer Center at MCW. He trained in medicine at the Cleveland Clinic, followed by a fellowship in oncology at the Carmanos Cancer Center in Detroit. He then completed a leukemia fellowship at MD Anderson uh, in Houston. He is a noted expert in leukemia and other cancers of the blood system and a leader of our cancer programs at MCW. Dr. Karen Carlson received her MD and PhD at the University of Wisconsin, followed by her medicine residency and fellowship in hematology and oncology all at Cornell in New York. She joined the MCW faculty in 2013 and, and is making her first visit to the Word on Medicine. Uh, Karen, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, we're going to start with and one of the advantages of having a moderator who doesn't know much of anything about leukemia is that I can kind of 
uh, oversee this and, and advocate for our listeners who are, are also equally confused. And that's why this is just such an important program. And as Dr. Atala knows, we have been basically doing everything possible to get him on the radio for the last couple of years. So, Ehab, we'll give you the first word, and thank you so much for joining us. Um, what is leukemia, and um, how many different types are there of this? So, first, thanks for having me. So, um, there are many types of leukemia, but there's really two main types, acute and chronic. The acute type um, needs uh, grows very fast and needs treatment right away. The chronic type is uh, slower growing, and some patients can even be observed for a while. Um, and these are really the two main types. And under these two main types fall many other uh, types. Um, leukemia, by definition, is a, a, a rare disease. It's, a, it's about 3% of all cancers. So there's about 60,000 patients diagnosed with leukemia each year in the U.S. And with the excellent results we have with treatment now, there's about half a million people alive with leukemia right now, uh, either completed treatment or on uh, treatment. And how would you explain what leukemia is? So I, I think P our listeners can wrap their rounds around around their wrap their arms around I have a cancer of the pancreas or I have a cancer of the lung um, leukemia is very confusing how would you simply describe what it is so it's a it's a so in our bone marrow our bone marrow makes all our blood cells so uh, leukemia is essentially a cancer of the bone marrow where uh, cancer essentially means that you have a a cell that's growing too fast or growing in an uncontrolled fashion. When it does that, it takes up uh, the uh, the normal takes up space of the normal cells. So the blood is affected, and patients usually present with um, low blood counts. And these low blood counts they puts them at risk for bleeding, or puts them at risk for infection. So ba so basically, it's a it's a cancer of the of the bone marrow where all the blood cells are made. Correct. And, and patients always ask us a question like, what stage is this? <clears throat> it's, in my, um, it's in my blood. Does that mean it's spread everywhere? Well, by definition, it's in the blood. Therefore, it is everywhere. And we don't really have specific uh, stages. So patients always think of breast cancer, lung cancer, that it was in the breast and went somewhere else. Leukemia, by definition, is in the blood and it's everywhere already. And people oftentimes confuse leukemia and lymphoma because they, they, they kind of sound the same. They both begin with L. What's the difference between leukemia and lymphoma? So leukemia manifests mainly in the blood, and lymphoma manifests mainly in the lymph nodes. They're both abnormalities of white cells. So in our blood, we have three types of uh, blood cells. We have red cells, white cells, and platelets. Leukemia and lymphoma, they're both a cancer of, or abnormal growth of these white cells. In lymphoma, it manifests mainly in the lymph nodes. Leukemia manifests mainly in the blood. There are some types that overlap. They're actually called leukemia lymphoma because they overlap because patients can present with infiltration of the lymph nodes or and or infiltration in the blood. Yeah, perfect perfect explanation. Dr. Ihab Atala, thank you so much. We're going to turn now to Dr. Karen Carlson. Um, Karen, what are the symptoms of leukemia? How would someone walking around know that they have a cancer developing in their bone marrow? So to start off, some people are diagnosed actually feeling quite healthy. They may go to see their primary care doctor for regular screening, visit, uh, regular screening tests, and their doctor may notice something is 
out of the ordinary in their blood work. So for a small group of people, that may be how they're diagnosed. More commonly, people experience what we call B symptoms or symptoms such as a nightly fever for an extended period of time that's not explained otherwise by an infection. They may be losing weight and they're not trying to. They may notice swollen lymph nodes that are uncomfortable and sore. They may also find that they've had a lot more infections in a short period of time than they typically do. And then really the other hallmarks all have to do with that bone marrow factory that Dr. Atala just talked about not working correctly. So they may not make other healthy blood cells such as platelets, which are essentially these little sacs that help blood to clot. And so people may notice they have more bruises, they may have nosebleeds, they may notice some tiny little spots that we call petechia on their shins or other places. Oh, perfect. Uh, That's Dr. Karen Carlson. Uh, We're talking about leukemia with uh, Karen and Dr. Iha Batala. Karen, now that um, patients have complete access to their medical records and they see uh, as soon as that uh, blood test is reported, it's, it pops up in their my chart or whatever it's called, and then they're sending you a my chart message, or even more frightening, they're sending me a my chart <laughs> message. Um, so if someone has like the early signs of leukemia, they're asymptomatic, they have no symptoms, but there's an abnormality on their CBC, which is their complete blood count, what would those abnormalities be? So the easiest things to look for would be white blood cell count. And so these are the body's infection-fighting cells. And some people may have far too many or far too few. Um, The other thing to look for is hemoglobin, which is a measure we use to test for red blood cells. Normally, red blood cells help collect oxygen and carry oxygen around the body. And when people have leukemia, they may not have enough red cells to do so, leading to a symptom of fatigue. Um, And then obviously platelets, they may have too few. Now, I will give your viewers or listeners a note of caution. A small difference from the normal value will still pop up as red in their my chart. That doesn't necessarily mean that there's a problem. So I really do encourage them to reach out to their doctor to discuss it first before they look at their blood counts and automatically diagnose themselves as having leukemia. But but in general, the the numbers that would raise suspicion over something being awry in the bone marrow is if the numbers are too low. Right, the white, the white cells, the platelets. There are a number of things that could cause the hemoglobin to be down, but but in general, the low numbers are what you would you and uh, Ehab deal with. Yeah, we get more concerned about the low numbers. Sometimes the white cell number can actually be quite high, so that can be a little tricky to interpret. Anything that's an extremely far out of the normal range um, is something that could give us some concern about a leukemia. Um, there's a lot of numbers that are reported on a complete blood cell count, which is what people would be seeing on their my chart. Some of them are measurements of how big cells are, how small they are, how much variety there are in the shapes. Those numbers we tend to not be things that flag us quite as rapidly for sure. leukemia. And, and uh, is there anything that that causes it? I mean, is there any? We know that smoking can be associated with lung cancer, but is there anything that, that we do in our daily lives that can predispose us to leukemia? Sure. So 
I say the the biggest risk factors or the risk factors that have the most impact are frankly things like prior blood and bone marrow diseases. So preconditions such as something called a myelodysplastic syndrome. This is the blood disease that there have been a couple well-known people in the media who have developed. Um, this is a risk factor for developing an acute form of leukemia. Exposure to some chemotherapy drugs and to radiation are big risk factors. It, it's, it's unfair that people have, you know, addressed and made it through a first cancer and unfortunately they get a second one. Is it safe to say though that the majority of people with leukemia it's just bad luck? Uh, The majority it's bad luck. And in our last couple minutes, uh, uh, Karen thank you so much, in our last couple minutes you have, uh, so suppose there's a concern, my family doctor is concerned that I have a a leukemia and he sends me to you, what kind of tests are you going to do on me? Uh, So First, we'd have to make sure that there are no other causes for these low blood counts that you were talking about earlier. So an infection, for example, if I have a cold, an infection, an infected knee, um, these can all change my blood count. So uh, talking with you, examining and making sure that there's no other reason, that's where we start. If there's an obvious reason, so for example, someone had a really bad cold, goes in, the blood counts are abnormal, we wait until the cold goes away, and then I repeat the blood counts and make sure that everything is back to normal. So that's the first thing. Um, if there is no clear explanation for these abnormal blood counts, uh, then uh, we diagnose leukemia. Some of the tests that could be done is we can do special tests on the blood to figure out are these cells normal or leukemic. So we do special tests on the blood. Um, if that does not give us the answer or sometimes even if that gives us the answer, we have to do a bone marrow biopsy to um, stage the disease, to see how, um, what's the extent of the disease. And lastly, sometimes we have to do a, a, a scan, uh, a CAT scan to see the lymph nodes in the body, or we need to do a lumbar puncture, very rarely in a specific type of leukemia, which is to collect uh, fluid from the spine and test it for leukemia. Some of the spinal fluid. How is a bone marrow biopsy done? I mean, that's, that kind of frightens me a little. You're going to put some big needle or something into a bone in my body. Uh, how is that done and does it hurt? Uh, so uh, it does hurt coming from a surgeon. Uh, it does definitely hurt less than a surgery. Um, so now hold on now. So- <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, okay, but uh, we'll, so the, at least it hurts less than an operation. That's yeah, good. Yes. But what, where, what bone do you usually biopsy? So it's usually biopsied from the pelvis, uh, the back of the pelvis, and Kim, who will talk later today, uh, does most of the procedures. Uh, we uh, numb up the skin, numb up the bone, and the best way I can describe it is like going to a dentist where it's, it's uncomfortable, uh, but most patients can get through it. Um, but most patients will still not say, oh, I love this. I want to have 10 more of those. So it's like going to the dentist where the numbing is uncomfortable and then numbing the bone is uncomfortable, and we get that from the pelvis, yeah. uh, pelvic bone. Wow. Well, a great introduction into leukemia. I already know uh, a ton more than I knew at the beginning of the program. So Dr. Ihab Batala, Dr. Karen Carlson, thanks so much. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Word on Medicine. If you'd like more information about something you heard today, call 414-805-3666. Now, here's more of The Word on Medicine on News Talk 1130 WISN. 
Welcome back. This is Dr. Doug Evans from the Medical College of Wisconsin, and you are listening to The Word on Medicine. And today we are telling the story of leukemia, a cancer of the blood system, as you heard in the first segment, actually a cancer of the bone marrow, as we all learned. We also cover selected topics related to medicine every Friday afternoon at 2 p.m. on the latest Word on Medicine, a short four-minute program which highlights the developments of the week, medical breakthroughs, what is happening in southeastern Wisconsin and throughout the world, They are quick and easy to listen to. We have covered all significant topics related to COVID-19, as well as over 100 non-COVID medical issues, and all are available on podcast. Please find them by going to our website at mcw.edu slash surgery, or simply go to iHeartRadio, iTunes, Podbean, or Stitcher, search The Latest Word on Medicine. The Latest Word on Medicine has won an award from the Wisconsin Broadcasters Association for our work on COVID-19, and I am sure there will be more to follow. Also, a big thank you to Celia Gleason Company and Mark and Debbie Antanasio, who make the Word on Medicine possible with their generous support. Before we start the second segment of today's program, I do want to give a brief shout-out to the nurses in the Freighter and the Medical College of Wisconsin Cancer Center. I receive weekly compliments from my patients on the caring, welcoming, and compassionate care delivered by the nurses in our cancer center. Medicine is very much a team sport, and the outcome for patients and their families depends on so many things. For the patient, it is so important that they have confidence in their team. All of the doctors, nurse practitioners, PAs, nurses, and technicians at our cancer center, they are truly a team. In addition, all patients have experienced the power of hope and the challenge when hope is missing. Sometimes, probably oftentimes, that hope comes from the team members other than the doctor. This is so important. For the team members themselves, it is so critical that they all listen to each other, help each other, and sail in the same direction. In our cancer center, we work hard to make this happen. Although Dr. Atalar and Dr. Carlson may be the captain of the ship and at the wheel, they can't drive the boat and trim the sails and plot the course all by themselves. Our cancer center sails faster and safer than other cancer centers because we all work together and we have the best nurses on the planet. Well, in the second segment of the program, we welcome back Dr. Karen Carlson, who will be joined by Kim Johnston and Mary Fonyakis. Kim Johnston received uh, her biology degree from Iowa State University and a master's degree in physician assistant studies from Midwestern University. She has been a PA with the Division of Hematology Oncology at MCW since uh, 2006. And Kim, I can't believe we we haven't tried to recruit you to the Department of Surgery. I mean, my goodness, what are we, we're gonna have to work on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, Mary Fornayakis is a registered nurse. She is a graduate of the University of Wisconsin in Mount Mary College, where she received her nursing degree. She joined Freighter Health in the outpatient clinics in 2016 and specializes in caring for patients with hematologic cancers. Well, thank you all for joining the Word on Medicine. Uh, Dr. Carlson, Karen, we're gonna return to you. What Now that we have talked about the diagnosis of leukemia, what leukemia is, how is it treated? Well, to begin with, unlike a lot of cancers, surgery is rarely, if ever, a part of our treatment plan. I knew you had to get that. that I, it's shot not a jab. The there you go. That's okay. <laughs> um, the mainstays really are medication based. Occasionally, radiation is used, but generally, the treatments are chemotherapy. And by that, I mean medicine. Strong medicines that target rapidly dividing cells, 
um, targeted therapies. So maybe we're able to identify a key driver inside those leukemia cells. And if we understand the biology of it, sometimes we can pick medicines that shut down very specifically what's not working in the cancer cell itself. A big component of our treatment now is immunotherapy. This may take the form of antibodies that are produced by in a lab and then they're administered to help the immune system kill the leukemia cells. Sometimes we use something called CAR T cell therapy, which is a type of immunotherapy where a patient's own white cells are used to attack and kill the leukemia cells. And sometimes we use stem cell transplant, which is essentially giving the individual an entirely new immune system that no longer recognizes the leukemia cells as belonging in that person. Wow. Just And, it, and how many of the current therapies that you utilize today uh, were you using 10 or 15 years ago? Oh, my goodness. We, you know, the... The mainstay of treatment for one very specific type of leukemia has been around for quite a while, but I'll say in the last seven to eight years, it's been really exciting to see all of these new therapies come on board and be able to really help patients in a big way. Oh, absolutely. And you know, it's, it's very common that the patients will express their fears and their concerns to people other than the doctor, even though you look um, you look like the most welcoming, caring physician that that we have at MCW, I suspect that uh, Mary, maybe I can I didn't uh, I didn't script this question, so you weren't prepared for this, but uh, I'm obviously going to ask it anyway. Um, what do you how do you deal with how do you deal with the patient? And Kim can comment on this as well. The patient who comes to you and already has a preconceived bias that. Um, Gee whiz, I'm, I'm just so afraid of, of these therapies. I mean, I get this all the time as a pancreas cancer doctor with chemotherapy. And, you know, our chemotherapy is delivered just so well now that the side effects are, are much less. But uh, Mary, Kim, can you comment? What, how do you deal with the, with the older adult who just says, you know, um, 10 years ago, my, my mailman, and, you know, many of us are very close to the person who delivers our mail, and we're very close to the person who cuts our hair. So we tend to believe them almost more than the, the doc, than the doctor. What do you say to the person who has a fixable leukemia, a treatable leukemia, and they come in and they say, gee whiz, I, um, I don't want this treatment. Uh, Kim, do you want to start with that one? Sure. So I um, you know, just generally spend, spend a lot of time uh, just building a rapport with the patient and you know, getting comfortable getting to know the person, getting to know the individual, and then spending um, a good amount of time educating and, you know, talking about how things are different today than maybe they were 10 years ago. And we have a lot of options and we have a lot of good um, supportive care. And, you know, we have a full team in place to, to help get you through this. Um, and I think, and you're usually successful. With this, I know you know Dr. Carlson and Dr. Atala are extremely well known. So I think uh, most of the patients, there's probably some selection in that they want to come and they want to be treated. Um, but uh, I, I think it's a, a testimony to the amazing program that you have. And, and Dr. Carlson was very humble in the in the treatments that are offered at MCW. I mean, some of them are truly groundbreaking. Right, I mean, you've 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 you're almost you're I think maybe even a little bit better than the heart surgeon or the transplant surgeon who really 
captures patients almost on their way to heaven and brings them back to earth. I think you're you're doing this in the leukemia space, right? Yeah, I think, you know, MCW is really uh, has some wonderful resources, wonderful research, wonderful clinical trials. We have an incredible clinical trials office dedicated to help getting patients safely through really brand new treatment modalities. Some of our colleagues in the CAR T-cell space have developed brand new therapies that have not been used elsewhere in the country, and they're happening right in Milwaukee and really helping patients. Wow, just really, it's, it's, it's amazing. As a solid tumor cancer doctor, I'm, I'm so jealous of all the advances that you have made uh, for patients with leukemias. So Kim, uh, two questions, we're gonna, and then we're gonna turn to Mary. Um, number one, tell us a little bit more about why when you do my bone marrow, it's not gonna hurt too much. Um, and, then, and then secondly, um, what can patients expect who embark on treatment for leukemia? So for the bone marrow biopsy, um, the, the numbing part is going to be uncomfortable, but once the numbing part is done, then usually uh, you're just going to feel a pressure kind of feeling. And, uh, you know, I'm very gentle, and I'll talk as we go through the procedure. And, um, you know, we do even have an option. Most patients don't, but we do have the option of conscious sedation, so like twilight kind of sedation that we can use if, you know, if you're uh, If I'm a little bit of a, a little scaredy more cat, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, what what can we expect if if I then have the bone marrow? Uh, Dr. Carlson has diagnosed me um, with leukemia. You've decided a treatment plan. Um, what what can I expect from the treatment? So, with some of the more intense therapy regimens, say for example, with the acute leukemias, the biggest thing is going to be that your blood counts are going to be lower. So when you think about your blood counts being lower, the white blood cell count being lower, that's going to put you at higher risk for infections. So we're going to ask you to do certain things and be vigilant, monitor for signs of infection. Uh, with the red blood cells or the hemoglobin dropping lower, you may or may not need blood transfusions throughout the course of your therapy. And uh, with the platelet count potentially dropping lower, you are going to be at higher risk for bleeding, and you may require platelet transfusions. So, and, and am I in the hospital for most of these treatments, or am I an outpatient? So initially, for, for the first round of chemotherapy for acute leukemia, generally you're inpatient for that. But once the, you know, once the induction chemotherapy, we call it, is, is complete— um, and we embark on the next phase of consolidation therapy. Those therapies were given, uh, we are giving more commonly outpatient based. And, uh, you know, you will have to come into the hospital to the clinic frequently, sometimes every other day to, you know, to have frequent lab checks and transfusions if needed. Then you may end up uh, being admitted to the hospital if you have a fever and your sure. white count is very low. Then we we assume infection until proven otherwise. So we bring you in and investigate. Try, you'll try to keep me out of the hospital as much as possible. We do. Yeah. 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 Some of the you know some of the acute leukemia treatment regimens we we do um, 
successfully give on an outpatient basis wow. now. Just what amazing progress that that's uh, uh, Kim Johnson, who's a who's a PA in the in the division of uh, hematology and oncology, and we're talking with Dr. Karen Carlson about leukemia, and we're going to turn now to Mary Fornayakis, and Mary is a nurse, and Mary. You manage um, a lot of the side effects of, of these treatments, and I think uh, certainly everything that um, uh, that Karen and Kim have talked about has a fair amount of prevention involved, but even, even with maximal prevention, there still can be some of the more common side effects. I think one of the things patients are always worried about is uh, our nausea, fatigue. Um, how do you, what can you do to minimize those? So a big part of uh, nursing in general and, you know, not just the the leukemia world, but even in solid is uh, education. So educating our patients on what they can do to kind of manage these toxicities at home. Um, For fatigue, for example, you know, we we talk to them that, yes, you're going to be tired. Your body's in this overdrive mode and we're going to want you to rest. But one of the big things to do to help you get through it and be... um, is to be more active, you know, surprisingly kind of the opposite. Oh, you know, I want to sleep all night or don't wake me, don't bother me while I'm in the hospital, but you actually will feel better if you can kind of get up and even walk, you know, if you're in the hospital, do a lap or you're at home kind of getting up during commercial breaks to get your own water instead of relying all on help. Um, So that is a, a big piece of education we do for fatigue. When it comes to like nausea, depending on the regimen in the acute leukemia world, the, um, patients, uh, the treatments are just more intense. So we do have some patients um, be required to take anti-nausea medications on a scheduled basis. Um, And then we're also teaching them um, using these same medications as an as-needed or PRN basis as well. Um, When it comes to, you know, infections, which I know is also one of the big um, side effect from uh, the chemotherapy and oral medications, a lot of it is making sure that they're taking their um, anti-biotic, um, like anti-fungal medication, or an antiviral medication to help prevent these. And then to keeping us updated with any fevers or any signs of infection, infections and letting us know right away so that we can take the next step. Yeah, it, Karen, it sounds like, thank you so much, Mary, it sounds like infection is the, is the big deal, at least from this discussion. I think our listeners would also like to know if I have leukemia, do... Do your treatments cause me to, do I lose my hair? Do I get uh, diarrhea? Am I going to lose a lot of weight? Sure. So it really varies by what type of leukemia we're treating. Um, You know, some of the chronic leukemias or slower growing leukemias, and even some subsets of the faster acute growing leukemias, we may be able to treat with a pill and treat with pills that don't cause people to lose their hair. some of the other ones, when we start to get into some of the more standard chemotherapies, people will lose their hair for a period of time, but we do expect that it will grow back. Um, Nausea is a big side effect in many instances, but not always. And we do have really great medicines to try and prevent or address it when it happens. It's really important for patients to let us know what they're experiencing, just like Kim and Mary mentioned. Oh, absolutely. Just I think these first two segments on leukemia were just fantastic. I think we've brought an abstract disease uh, into something that's understandable for, uh, for all of us. Dr. Karen Carlson, uh, Kim, Mary, thank you all so much. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Word on Medicine, presented by Selig Lisa on News Talk 1130 WISN. 
In our final segment of today's program, we welcome we welcome back Dr. Iha Batala and two of his very generous patients, uh, Mary and Katie, who have agreed to share their stories with all of our listeners. It's just so so uh, wonderful of them to do this. Uh, Dr. Iha Batala is uh, a, a nationally known uh, oncologist who specializes in leukemia and is a, a major reason why our cancer center at MCW is so successful. So, Ehab, Mary, and Katie, uh, thank you all for joining us. I think we'll start with Mary's story. And, uh, Ehab, would you like to give a, a brief description of, of, uh, of Mary's situation? And then we can hear from Mary what it was like to go through her treatment. Great, thank you. So, yeah, just a very brief description. So, um, Mary was diagnosed with uh, acute leukemia. Uh, specific type acute lymphoblastic leukemia and a subtype that's Philadelphia positive. Um, and she uh, courageously enrolled on a clinical trial where uh, normally this, this type of leukemia is treated with chemotherapy and she enrolled on a, on a clinical trial where she did not receive any chemotherapy. She only received immune therapy and a targeted therapy. And um, and refresh our memory. I know Dr. Carlson mentioned what targeted therapy is. It's an it's now commonly used in oncology. How would you explain that to our lay uh, audience? So, with the advances we have now, these uh, cancers or specifically leukemia, you, we are able to identify in some leukemias a specific target or a specific mutation, and then develop drugs that block that mutation and therefore lead to the death of that leukemia cell. So that mutation in a specific gene, for example, is critical to keeping the leukemia alive and keeping it going. And then you develop a drug that just knocks that out. Correct. And that specific, in Mary's case, is, is, was a, is a gene called the Philadelphia chromosome. And developing drugs that specifically block the effects of that abnormal chromosome uh, is, is, was a major advance in cancer and in leukemia. And and the other term that you uh, that you introduced that uh, that I think some of our listeners will be aware of is the is the clin- is the term clinical trial, and Mary was treated on a clinical trial. We've done a couple shows on the word on medicine on clinical trials, but briefly, what did that mean for Mary that she was getting something other than the standard treatment? Correct. So these are uh, these are protocols studies where we think that a, a drug or a a combination of drugs we think will work better than what we already have. And that's pretty much, as you know, is the way that all drugs have developed and all the advances that we have currently are because of people like Mary that they've enrolled in clinical trials and we've and been able to move the field forward. Well, be- beautiful introduction. Mary, thank you for joining the Word on Medicine. And uh, tell us about your diagnosis and then what your treatment was like. Well, I was diagnosed with uh, acute lymphatic leukemia in March of 2017. And the reason I knew this, I had extreme lower back pain. So I went to a freighted uh, hospital, the emergency room, and they had told me that I had leukemia. And this came as a total shock because I thought I had a sciatic back problem. So the doctor told me of the diagnosis, and I, and I said to him, are you sure that this is this is leukemia. This is really, really a shock to me. And he said, well, I've talked to two other doctors regarding this, and yes, it's leukemia. So I had to deal with the challenge of this disease with the knowledge that I had the faith of the doctors at Freighter and the medical college that together as a, with a team of doctors and the medical college studies, 
they just they were so excellent with what they did the the treatment that i had i was in the hospital for five days and i had all kinds of procedures and tests and then um then the doctors would come in and they would tell me what was going on the testing that they would do uh the procedures that i had coming and i said you know i have complete faith in your in your your with your doctors i know the medical college has all the latest techniques just do what you think is right i this is going to turn out just wonderful and i just want to say it was just amazing what they did for me the treatments the doctors the patients they had with me cause sometimes i asked kind of odd questions um but they were just very patient with me and and very understanding very gentle with some of the tests that were a little uncomfortable, but I thought, you know what, I, this is the way to go. This is the thing that is so important that you take your faith and you put your your in you put in the doctors. The doctors have the technology and the skill to help you through a very difficult diagnosis. And what was was your treatment intravenous or was it oral? What how did you get? What was your treatment? What kind of medicine was it how was it delivered to you uh orally so i had i had different procedures i had tests i had blood work um but it was uh the the actual pill that they gave me that was an oral pill wow that's just amazing you're listening to mary who's a who's been uh treated for philadelphia positive acute lymphoblastic leukemia and uh ehab dr atala so her the chemotherapy is usually given intravenously that everyone is familiar with now Mary's therapy which is immunotherapy targeted that was given orally why the difference so Mary it was 7 years ago she like she also got an intravenous component but it was not chemotherapy it was immune therapy so it used her own immunity to yeah. uh, kill off the leukemia um, and it was a long time ago. It was seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's different because we're able to identify these mutations. And when once we're able to identify the mutations, we can develop these targeted therapies. And, you know, with, with cancers like breast cancer and lung cancer, uh, the cancer can sometimes come back. Um, how, Mary, how are you doing now? And then we can hear from uh, our expert here, uh, Dr. Atala. I, I feel amazing. I I'm, I. I don't get tired. I, I'm never sick to my stomach. I have a wonderful, wonderful network of friends and family that help me. I I probably do more than most of my friends. The other day, I, I shoveled snow. I went shopping for two hours, and then I went out to dinner with my friends, and I got home at 10 o'clock, and I felt wonderful. I mean, how many 77-year-old people can do that? That oh, don't have leukemia. <laughs> I mean, I can tell you, my my wife is uh, is uh, a little more than ten years younger, and she won't shovel snow. So <laughs> I'm going to have her listen to this show. Absolutely, uh, Ehab, the the sustainability, the durability of these responses to the new treatments is that what we're seeing here? Correct. And the results of the study that Mary enrolled on, um, pretty much there have been no patients that have relapsed this many years out. So she does continue the oral pill, and and she continues to do really well. Oh wow, fantastic! Well, tell us about tell us about Katie. So Katie has the other type. We talked about acute and chronic. Katie, the chronic type, and uh, uh, she presented with uh, lymph node swelling, and maybe she can describe that a little more. And she's currently on oral therapy, just o- only oral therapy. Um, maybe 
five, six years ago, the treatment for that type of leukemia was chemotherapy. We rarely use chemotherapy for that type of leukemia anymore. And she's currently on two different pills uh, that have a really high rate of um, remission. And she's, uh, and she's supposed to stop her treatment in about 15 months. Um, and that's where she is right now. Wow. And Katie, tell us, tell us uh, how old you are and, and how, how, this, how you even learned of this diagnosis. So I'm 35 years old, going to be 36, and my road to diagnosis actually started this time last year. I was pregnant, and I unfortunately suffered a miscarriage, and that led me to my primary care doctor. And I mentioned to her that I had these huge lymph nodes that were just, my friends and family were being kind. They're like, no, it's not that bad, but I looked like a linebacker. And so... I mentioned them to her. She said, yeah, they're pretty beefy. We should probably look into what's causing that. I said I had COVID at the beginning of January 2022. Is that anything that could be? And she's like, maybe. We'll we'll get an ultrasound. We'll look at them. Um, the ultrasound tech, too, agreed. She said they were beefy. I was beginning to wonder if that was and in my, my where, chart. Where in your body? Where, where? They were in my neck. So okay. it was just the just in my neck. And, again, she's like, you know, we'll take pictures, we'll, you'll get them through my chart. It did come back that I have a bump on the left side of my thyroid. And of course I did what everyone does and Googled what, what that means. And it lovingly told me I was dying of thyroid cancer. And my primary care physician thankfully reached out right away and was like, you're not dying. It's not cancer. It's probably just a bump. A lot of people have this. It's not a big deal, but we'll do a blood test. I didn't want to do a blood test because I don't like needles, but I went and took the blood test. And I remember when it came back, it did have that lovely red exclamation point next to it. And I looked at it and my white blood cells were all the way to the left from where the normal range was. And my lymphocytes, I think, were at like 80,000. And I was like, that's not normal. I know lymphocytes are to fight off infection, so maybe it's still long COVID or something like that. But my primary care physician called me right away, and I'll never forget the call. She said, are you safe, and is it safe to talk to you? And I knew that was not good news coming yeah. my way. She said, not only do you have a large number of lymphocytes, but the hematologist said your lymphocytes are deformed. And I was like, okay, so what does that mean? Is it like COVID caused them to be deformed? I was still like holding on to it was COVID that caused all of this. And she goes, no, we'll have to do another blood test. And we'll call you with results. And so the next day, um, she called. And again, she started the conversation. Are you safe? And is it safe to talk to you? And she said, I, we think you might have something called chronic, chronic lymphocytic sorry, chronic lymphocytic leukemia, CLL. And I was like, well, what is that? And she goes, it's generally a cancer that affects people over the age of 65. And so I was like, great, my blood identifies as a 65-year-old. Um, and she's like, you know, um, we'll recommend you to oncology and they can kind of tell you more. But again, I Googled and I saw that, you know, it's for 65-year-olds. It's a 10-year prognosis from onset to when people succumb to CLL, and then it talked about chemotherapy being the treatment. So I was very anxious because here I was thinking I'm starting a family, and now I'm on cancer treatment. So meeting with Dr. Atala, I cried most of the first appointment, <laughs> but he thankfully and told me, you know, you're going to live, and no, you're not going to get chemotherapy. You're not going to get the intravenous. Um, like he said, I picked... Uh, 
a combo of Caliquence and Venetoclax, and um, it's worked really well. We actually did a blood test in February, and there's no sign of uh, lymph of the lymph nodes or sorry lymphocytes in my blood. So I'm technically considered MRD negative. So oh, I'm wow. in remission, well, and that's Katie, less good. than a year. So Katie, that's awesome. <laughs> good for you, and I can and. Uh, I'll, uh, an amazing story, and for the listeners, Katie hasn't cried yet in, in the studio. You've done so well. Uh, Ehab, uh, a couple uh, terms. First of all, what in general, how was she treated? And she mentioned the blood test that you're looking to see if there are any of the cancer cells still present. Well, explain that a little bit for us. So the, the treatment, uh, we have treatments for CLL now that uh, specifically address um, it's the the abnormal proteins in this type of leukemia, the CLL, um, and one of them is the um, acalabrutinib, and the other is the venetoclax. They're oral medications, and they uh, they work really well with eighty percent, eight zero percent of patients achieving remission. We're also able to uh, a, a term that's used very commonly in oncology now called MRD or measurable residual disease. So using very advanced testing to see. Um, uh, to test for the presence of the leukemia or not. Patients who do not have um, any leukemia detected by this MRD testing um, are able to stop their therapy and we can watch them. Um, and hopefully with what we know now that the average remission can last, the average remission lasts four to five years and sometimes longer than that, we just don't have the full data yet. And then and as, a, as opposed to just keeping Katie on treatment, you can you can stop her treatment, and then if if something shows up in the future in her blood, you can just you would just resume treatment. Is that correct? That is correct. And depending on how long uh, the leukemia stays in remission, the resuming treatment we have multiple options for that also. Wow. Um, so, K- Katie, how what have you noticed in taking these medications? Um, so I was thankful that it was pills I could take that I could be at home and not at the cancer center. I think mentally that just helped yeah. more. Um, with, you know, coming to terms with having cancer and doing the treatment, but being able to do it on your terms. Um, I didn't miss any work. I haven't been sick at all. I haven't had any really major, um, I haven't had an infection. I haven't had any fevers or anything that you would be concerned with. So I've been very grateful to be so healthy and still be in cancer treatment. I think that's the number one thing I get is you don't look like you have cancer, but I'm like, thanks. I'm glad. Oh, you're, I don't want to look like so, a linebacker anymore. You're so courageous, and that guy over there in the corner who came in with you must be a pretty special person also. Yeah, my husband's here supporting me, yeah. like always. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Katie, Mary, uh, Dr. Atala, thank you so much. Uh, I can't, words can't express how, uh, how, what a great contribution you've made to the Word on Medicine and to everyone who's listening today. We'll be right back. Talking about innovative medicine with top experts. It's the Word on Medicine on News Talk 1130, WISN. Welcome back, and thank you again for joining us today. And this program lives as a podcast. Please go to the iHeartMedia website. Simply go to the Word on Medicine and see a podcast of this and our over 140 unique programs. Well, in the final couple minutes, I want to expand on the last segment with regard to clinical trials and share some of my personal thoughts. I wrote my first clinical trial in 1989 as a surgical oncology fellow in Houston. What struck me then and remains true today is the rigor and attention to detail, which is an essential requirement of all clinical trials. 
At their core, clinical trials represent something new and innovative, often the doctor's best therapy for a given disease, as Dr. Atala mentioned. The doctors feel they have developed the best treatment or combination of treatments, but haven't quite proven it yet. Every trial that we have at MCW is something we feel has the potential to improve the care of patients right now. We would enroll in our trials ourselves if we were the patient. On top of this strong belief that the clinical trial represents the best opportunity for a patient is the infrastructure of safety. All clinical trials are overseen by a cast of thousands, the most important of which are the research nurses. They remind me of the nuns who taught my son in junior high school. They never missed anything. It took Brian way too long to learn this. The research nurses provide a blanket of safety for the patient, which is significantly understated. There is no safer place to receive medical care than on a clinical trial, as many eyes are watching everything that is done. A, redu a redundancy which I find so important, especially when the treatments become increasingly, increasingly complex, as you heard today. Again, a huge thank you to Drs. Iha Batala and Karen Carlson, Kim Johnson, Mary Fongarakis, and our two generous patients, Mary and Katie. So that's all for today. Please join us next Saturday at 4 p.m. for another edition of The Word on Medicine. On behalf of our, of our producer, Dave Michaels, thank you all for listening today. A big thank you to Celia Gleason Company and Mark and Debbie Antanasio. This is Dr. Doug Evans wishing you all a healthy week ahead. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.